Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Shoving Wilco, a podcast celebrating the music of Wilco. I'm your host, Todd Rossnagel, and it is great to have you along with us. You know, when I first started this podcast, I had a few things in mind. First, I wanted you, the audience, to listen in on some of the many conversations I've been having with my good friend Tim Arnold over the years. And for the first few episodes, we've hopefully done that. We've explored the discography and a whole lot more. I encourage you to go back and listen to some of those early episodes, and Tim will rejoin us here on the podcast very soon. Another thing I've wanted to do is unpack the theology of Wilco, and we've started down that path as Reverend Chad Brooks recently joined us as we unpacked the theology of a shot in the arm. Great song, great episode. I encourage you to go back and listen to that one. Really looking forward to more of those conversations. And I've also wanted to explore some of the behind the scenes aspects to both the band and the entire touring family. And because I am a photographer myself, I have wanted to talk to my next guest, Charles Harris. In fact, Charles was one of the first people I reached out to. Charles is a professional photographer based in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we're going to explore his professional work in just a moment. We'll leave links to his work in the show notes of this episode. But it's his work with Wilco that obviously caught my attention. Charles has been photographing Wilco since, well, a very long time. We'll get into the exact timeline in just a moment, but know this, some of the most iconic photographs of the band, and for that matter, Jeff Tweedy himself, were taken by Charles Harris. And I will admit, when I reached out to Charles via email, it was it was one of those Hail Mary emails, thinking to myself, surely he gets these requests all the time. This podcast is currently followed by roughly nine people. <laughs> He's not going to do an interview, much less reply. And sure enough, not only did Charles reply and agree to an episode, I can say that he has been incredibly gracious with his time. And I know all of us are in store for a great episode. Charles Harris, welcome. Welcome to the Shoving Wilco podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Todd, and uh, thanks for thinking of me. And I shot a ton of Wilco and Jeff, but yep. I don't want to forget about you know a lot of the other memorable photogra- photographs of others: Sam Jones, Zoran Oreck, Austin Nelson. I'm not alone in this Wilco family. Yeah, absolutely. I and and I know that there's there's there has to be several people, uh, kind of behind the scenes taking photographs of Wilco over uh, over the years. So. Um, and I really appreciate you joining us. This is a this is a real treat. I think we need to start with um, what I will admit is a challenge. Uh, we're doing a podcast about a visual medium. It's certainly going to be a bit challenging to talk about a series of photographs or photography. But I will say this: in some of our previous conversations, I have quickly found that your history with the band and your story itself is incredibly interesting. Yeah, well, I've been a serious fan since about 96 and first photographed them for real in maybe late 2003 or early 2004. And I can't wait to get into uh, some of that history. You and I share uh, something in common, really. We both sort of, I've described it as sitting forward in my chair uh, when I first heard being there. For me, it was the song Misunderstood. Um, 
for you, I think I remember you telling me that it was Forget the Flowers. Do I have that right? Well, sort of. I mean, when I first put the disc on, I, you know, I'd never heard it before. And uh, I was a bit taken back by the first chords, you know, the sort of discordant chords of, of Misunderstood. Yeah. And it wasn't what I expected. So I kind of skipped around. And I found songs like Forget the Flowers, you know, because I was seeking that more country-ish sound. Trying my patience, try pink carnations, red roses, and yellow daffodils. Don't forget the flowers someday. So that really allowed me to explore further, but what I found was not what I expected. Uh, Sunken Treasure actually is a song that probably sealed the deal for me. So how did you go from enjoying what is a great song, Sunken Treasure, and and really becoming a big fan of Wilco, the band? Well, I was, you know, with that album, I became a serious fan and uh, then loved Mermaid and Summer Teeth. And, you know, Jeff's songwriting really blew me away. And I've been on a lot of road trips in the car and airplanes, and I always travel with a lot of CDs. Uh, all Wilco became constant and uh, was on constant repeat. Um, but really what started my kind of in-depth love was when I first got broadband internet in maybe 2000, yeah. I was curious about Napster, but I couldn't really think of anything that I wanted that I didn't already own. So I kind of cruised around and randomly stumbled on Jeff Tweedy, some live shows, most from the lounge acts. And uh, that really showed me how talented he is. You know, the acoustic versions, sort of everything stripped down, really also reveals a lot about the song. And uh, Jay Bennett was with them sometimes, and that was, you know, great musicianship. And then Jeff's banter really charmed me. Um, <laughs> really, I mean, he was he was so funny and honest and forthright, and I'd never really heard anybody like that on, on stage. But uh, I went down a download rabbit hole at that point and got everything I could, live versions, alternate versions. I was among the first, I'm, I'm guessing, to download Yankee Hotel Foxtrot just before 9-11. Took it on my road trips. That was kind of the beginning. So this love affair, Charles, uh, led you to going to see them in concert, and you just happened to bring along your camera. Is that right? Not the first time. Okay. Um, I didn't bring my camera into that first show because I was afraid I'd get kicked out. I didn't know what it would be like, you know, so that was kind of a regret because I, I was so close and had such a great vantage point. And then 
you decided to bring your camera into a into a show, right? I went to go see him at the uh, nine thirty club in DC, and it was a snowstorm. And I camped out, got a really sweet position in front of Jeff, basically. And I took the Leica, a Leica camera, which is a small film camera. Even though Jeff is right-handed, his tendency is to have the guitar open to his left, which is where I was. So that really, mm-hmm. really helped me out. Since I was shooting film, every frame was important. So I was pretty conservative, you know, in my approach. It'd be like, oh, he changed guitars, click. Oh, look at the, look at that cool lighting, click. One roll, one frame at a time. You're shooting film and, uh, you know, which is... You know, for the kids today, it's hard to even process what that world was like. But you, you, you did not have an immediate uh, indication of what your photograph looked like. And so you had to go back and, and process the film. And then what did you find? Well, yeah, I mean, certainly you can't see it then. And I shoot by instinct a lot. You know, I process the film. I digitized the role because digital was, you know, a thing, but not yes, just in early cameras. Days. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, once I sort of absorbed them, the images, um, I didn't really have any expectations before that. But I was kind of impressed, which is sort of rare to impress myself. <laughs> you know, I worked up about a dozen or so and fired off a web gallery to the generic email address at Wilco World. And literally within minutes... I was contacted by Ken, Ken Wagner, who ran the site. And he seemed kind of wowed and asked me if he could use them on the site. Well, of course. I mean, they were up that very night. So let's just let's just pause right there and talk about that for just a moment because you know, firing up a, a web gallery at that time in the in the in the world of photography uh, was a little bit difficult for the average person at home, but you're a professional, so you were in in that world. Did you ever think that a he would kind of kind of like when I emailed you I didn't think you would get a return email from Wilco World and did you even think that they would be up on the website how confident were you uh no no confidence I, yeah. I had no no expectations I was surprised you know like I said I I, I had confidence in the work I I did I I thought I thought they were good and good enough because I was seeing some really awesome photographs on their site already, mm. uh, mostly by Zorin, and I love his style. And so I knew that they were they were a little bit beyond the norm, you know, photographically. It seemed to me that way anyway. And so from there, your photos are now up on their website on their their gallery of course and then from there do you is that how you first made the connection to the band yeah um so you know ken said well he liked the work and he said anytime i wanted to see a show he'd hook me up with a photo pass um maybe a year goes by before i take him up on it you know i'm a working photographer and taking photos at a rock show was was neat but it it wasn't in the front of my mind you know I really wasn't actively pursuing it, but I started going to some shows and shooting it. And then, uh, after I guess a couple of years, either he or Deb, their publicist asked me to shoot some promo work for Jeff in Chicago. Uh, this would be an actual job with the label paying for it. So I did an estimate like I would any job. 
mm-hmm. and it was approved. We shot in Millennium Park in Chicago, and I scouted the the you know the park the previous day. Came up with a bunch of interesting places that I knew I could work with. So day of, like I found a great starting place with a great abstract view of the bean, you know, in the background. And Jeff would have been kind of hidden, but sort of out in the public. Mm. Yeah. And when he arrived, you know, I showed him the spot and he's like, oh, he didn't want to shoot anywhere that the crowd might see him or, or he might gather a crowd. Right. Right. So, you know, I got it immediately and, uh, boom, we went to a different location, you know, right away. Everything from then on was pretty tucked away. And we just kind of floated from location to location. And what was Jeff like to work with? Oh, he was great. He was engaging and easy, like a lot of people. I don't think he's too fond of having his photo taken. Right. But, you know, he's he's a professional. He recognizes, you know, the need to do this, the utility of having it done. And he, he suffered through it with not a lot of grumbling, you know. The next big thing for me was the residency at the Riv in Chicago in, I think, early 2008. Yeah. So this, yeah, this is my first show with all access. So I got there, I got the laminate, I'm backstage. I was staying at the same hotel as Nell's and all access was fantastic. You know, it's like the rehearsal rooms. And so that, let me, let me just go into that rehearsal room for just a moment as a geek here. Um, are they, are they rehearsing for the night or are they riffing on future songs? Is it a combination of both? Like what's happening in that room? It is a combination of both. I, I think, I think you mainly will hear songs that they, they may play that evening, but not mm-hmm. always. Um, I have heard some, snippets of things I'd never really heard before. You know, I think it's, it's more about them warming up than it is about actually rehearsing. You know, they do sound checks as well. And I think those are a little more tuned in to what they're really playing that night. Mm. But though, though not always, sometimes they'll do a, they'll sound check something and you won't hear it at all. And so from there, um, it it became all access all the time, right? You you ended up doing solid sounds and, and and a ton of other shows as well, right? Yeah, it was it was all access all the time. I did uh, the first two solid sounds. Uh, got to hug Mavis, which is really sweet. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and this this kind of kept on and on. I saw just I don't know forty shows, fifty, sixty shows. It's hard to say. Wow. Um, you know, until about 2012, at which point I, I sort of went on hiatus. Hmm. Well, we're going to get to that in a moment because I know a little bit more about that hiatus uh, story in just a moment. But I want to take us back, if I can, Charles, to September of 2001, because you had mentioned that that was a time frame um, that you had been shooting. Yankee had just been released, and it's the uh, it's the month after our American tragedy, 9-11. And I think I heard you correctly. You saw them in the, the Gypsy Tea Room in Dallas, Texas, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. And that was one of the, if not their first shows after 9-11. You, did you have your camera or did you, I think I remember talking to you before the, before we recorded. Did you decide not to bring it to the show? Tell me that story. 
Yeah, I I didn't forget it. I, I never forget my camera except in scary dreams. <laughs> but yeah, which actually that's a recurring nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I I I get it. Now we have now we have cameras in our pockets, so that's good. But yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah, no, I made a last minute decision. I, I intended to bring the camera in. Again, a small Leica film camera. It's pretty discreet. I wasn't afraid of, you know, being looking like too much of a professional, but you never know with venues that they might do a little pat down and say, nope, can't, can't do it. And then I would get kind of sent back to my car, which would, uh, it wouldn't allow me to get in the front row where I right, wanted to right, be. Right. And so I, I stashed it and I, I didn't take it in. It was kind of a regret, but so be it. But how was that show? The show was fantastic. It was it was the first show I saw. It was the first show since 9-11. And it, it was actually just like a week after 9-11. Um, first show without Jay Bennett. Mm. First, first live show as a four-piece. Yeah. And the, the Gypsy Tea Room, that's got to be a very, very small venue. It's very tiny. Shoulder to shoulder with the crowd, face to face with uh, the band. And, you know, I had such a fantastic spot, literally directly in front of Jeff. Uh, I, I couldn't even leave to go go get a beer or go to the bathroom or anything. And, uh, yeah, Jeff sort of alarmed me initially with his presence. And uh, const- he's constantly prowling the audience with his eyes. I mean, he knows exactly who's there and how they're responding, you know. And he would, like, lock on eye to eye, which is a bit disconcerting. And, cause, you know, nobody ever does that, it seems. But, uh, you know, I don't think I was alone in the fact that I knew Yankee mm-hmm. um, because he would, you know, go into a song, and there was some clear response from the audience that a lot of people knew it. I was surprised by that. This is an this is an odd question to ask a photographer who loves taking photographs, but is there a part of you that you're you're okay with the fact that you didn't bring your camera into that show, that that particular show at that particular time in American history that that instead you have these images that are that are photographed in your mind more so than a a slide or a or a JPEG? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, it, it was a regret, but even if I had brought the camera in, I, I may have been too intimidated to shoot very much because I was really less than an arm's length from Jeff and the stage is maybe a foot off the ground. I mean, it's just like standing directly in front of somebody and taking their photo. I, I may have felt uncomfortable, but uh, yeah, I would have loved to have a frame or two at the very least. Sure, sure. Now, earlier, Charles, you mentioned that Jeff scans the room with his eyes. And I think for those of us who have been to shows, we know exactly what you're talking about. But I would love for you to share the story of when Jeff not only scanned the room and saw you, but then went one step further and sort of called you out. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. I was I was shooting for them at the pageant in St. Louis. Uh, this is one of the early shows for me where... They'd put me in a hotel room, same as theirs. So 
you know, we're I'm seeing him back and forth. And uh, it's a good thing because you see everybody frequently and it sort of validates your presence. Um, but yeah, wa- my wife, Lori, had joined me for this trip and it happened to be our 25th anniversary. Uh, our 38th, in fact, was last month. Congratulations. Um, thank you. But midway through the set, I was in the pit in front of Jeff. And uh, yeah, he, he sees me. You know, he knows I'm there. Um, I moved over to Pat's side during a song break. As soon as I did, Jeff was really looking at me. He kind of <laughs> rushed over to that side towards me, with me. I was a bit alarmed. He leans down, pulls our heads together, and says, Happy anniversary. Wow. Then goes back to start the next song. I mean, I was floored. I look back to find Lori. A few rows back, she sort of gives me like a "what the hell" look. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. you know, because I've you know I've seen Jeff in person seriously call out audience members who are distracting him or being unruly or too talkative. He does n- he does not hesitate to scold <laughs> and shame them. You know. <laughs> And so, Absolutely. yeah, he, yeah. so he came at me. I was like, oh, what did I do? <laughs> That's exactly what I would have thought too. Yeah. I figured I was about to get tossed or scolded or something. I mean, I get it. Even as unobtrusive as I try to be, I am a camera in the face. So sure. I'm, I'm sure that's tiresome. Uh, but instead he, he purposely came directly at me in the middle of the set. I mean, imagine He's doing, he's doing a song. He sees me and thinks, hey, today is his anniversary. I should say something. <laughs> I don't even know how he knew. But uh, I think this is a great example of just how thoughtful Jeff is. It's a phenomenal story. Uh, that, that intimacy, that familiarity, that kindness from Jeff that you just pointed out. I think it's why so many of us diehard Wilco fans love the band so much. And... You know, I get it. Most fans of any band will say they feel like they know the band, that the band knows them. But I insist, Charles, that Wilco fans experience this on a on a deeper, more meaningful level. When Jeff sings, we feel it. When when we're there with the band in a live setting, it is very much like a family reunion. Yeah, I think people do connect with his music. They connect with his lyrics, and they, maybe they connect with him personally. But it it does seem to speak to you directly. I think, you know, he's said before about, you know, it's kind of a an us together sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the fans and him. And there's there's no him without us, you know, and there's no us as a as a so called family of friends without them. They are an amazing band, and Charles, you have captured some amazing images over the years. Uh, I thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Shoving Wilco. I want to invite you back for a second episode because I want to talk a little bit more about seeing the band through a lens. So can we do another episode? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks a bunch, Todd. This was really fun. 
This has been the Shoving Wilco podcast. I am your host, Todd Rossnagel. I thank you so much for joining us and have a great day, everyone.